I Hurt is a podcast for all young people who have been wounded in their heart, in their relationship with God, in their body, or in reputation. I Hurt is for those who daily, often silently, cry, I hurt, but feel unheard. You aren't. I Hurt stands on the truth that Jesus Christ loves you and God your Father grieves deeply over what has been done or said to or about you. I Hurt is about God first, then about us. We believe God too cries, I hurt. Not only over the things done to us, but he equally hurts over the things done by us that hurt others and hurt him. everyone to episode two of the I Hurt podcast. Uh, today we have a brand new guest with us, Maria, and Brad is going to interview Maria and we're going to talk about, well, I'll leave that to you. Okay. I just, I, I know you would have, you would have heard the introduction just now and what we read um, and you hopefully you've listened to the introduction and episode one. Um, we love you and God sees you and God sees your pain and God sees your hurt. And he always is a light at the end of the tunnel. Caves don't exist in the kingdom of God. And I think we want to communicate that hurt doesn't have to feel like that cave. And hurt can be... Um, Something that can freedom, enter Yeah, into. and freedom yeah. can come. Freedom is available. Um, and there's light. Yeah, and we, we've talked about on this program so far that all of our guests are people that we know and trust. And uh, Maria and I go back a long way. I met you when you were how old? Nineteen. Nineteen. There we go. And how old are you now? Oh, never mind. <laughs> Older. Okay. Older. Yes. Do you want to recount the story of when we met? Do you remember? Yeah, it was. It was actually a really interesting time in my life because I had just graduated college. I had gotten my bachelor's in psychology, and I really um, had just come to know the Lord shortly prior to that and God was really working in my heart. It clarified a lot of things about my own life and it gave me a real passion to want to work with teens. And um, nobody would give me a chance to work with teens, especially in a Christian setting. And so um, I was working at Circuit City. Which is kind of like Best Buy. Which is yeah. like Best Buy, yeah. that's right. And ironically enough, Brad and Robin had just met my parents, I think the week before that. So I had no, I had heard about them, but I'd never, never met them. And anyways, here I am, and I'm at Circuit City working, and Brad was there with somebody who was British accent speaking. Yes, it's again. And I'd never even realized that you weren't British, because I just assumed, because yeah. you kind of look like you could be a Brit, right? But I was talking oh, yeah. to the other gentleman. Yeah. And it was great, and the conversation turned to God, and we started talking about God, and I'm like, this is amazing. And I was telling him about what was on my heart, and Brad goes, is your mom's name Nellie? I go, literally, I froze because a million thoughts went through my mind. I'm like, how do you know my mother from England? Because <laughs> my mother had an affair. <laughs> I mean, all sorts of thoughts. So finally, after a lot of uh, hesitation, I said, yes, how do you know my mother? He introduced himself, said he was Brad, his wife, his name was Robert. I'm like, oh, you guys just, you know, met with my parents last week. So that's how we made the connection. But Brad said, listen, I want to give you an opportunity 
to make your dreams come true. I want to support your dreams, support your vision. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was a God appointment, and that kind of started it. Yeah, and it was funny because I was in there with these British guys that were looking at sound and video equipment and everything like that, and I started talking to Maria, and she, you've always been vivacious, yeah. right? And I walked in there, and I'm sitting there going, this girl loves the Lord, even though she's a young Christian. You were passionate about it, yeah. and I'm going, why wouldn't people give her an opportunity? Yeah. I'm longing to have people like that. And I mean, it was literally like, I felt like I knew you when I first met you. I know. There was definitely there was a connection such a there. connection, such a kinship, yeah. Yeah, sure. so Maria actually came volunteered for a while, worked for us for a while. She developed some counseling materials for us, helped us revamp our evangelism at our events. Remember that? You put that whole thing together. Um, Maria also is an incredible singer. Um, you were on American Idol, right? Okay, Ew. a long time uh, ago. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Seacrest was young when she was. That's there. right. That's right. So. But um, it, that was a neat experience, and um, you sing now in kind of like unusual ways. You have an opportunity to share Christ, but it wouldn't be necessarily through like traditional. Yeah. You want to talk yeah. a little bit about that? Well, I mean, I do lead worship in our in our church, um, but I do minister in senior homes and senior communities, and I, I give them a great show i say it's a mega style show we laugh we dance and the last 15 minutes i present the gospel we sing hymns we talk about god and it's been an unbelievable time in ministry for a number of years now yeah and so you go out into these situations and just use your musical talents it isn't necessarily about getting out and leading worship but it's using right. your talents as a place to get conversations with people that's and, right and you're seeing lots of elderly people come to know christ right absolutely Absolutely. Isn't that exciting? I mean, that's just it's awesome. It's very exciting, especially in the day and age we live in where so many people just have no interest in God. Yeah. Um, but to see especially people that are so close to eternity yeah. turn their hearts to God, it's rewarding. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Before we move on, we're going to read from Psalm 23. Okay. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I feel like that psalm is just a deep breath, like a... <laughs> it helps center you again. It's funny, I've had at least three or four crises in my life where God said, read the, the 23rd Psalm. And this is no joke, I go, no. And you go, why? I go, because I already know it. I've read it so many times. <laughs> you know, I want something new, That's right? right yeah. And all of a sudden, I'd be reading it, and I'd start sobbing when I'd start to finally understand it. So, you know, if you're hurting, this would be a great thing to read every day. Well, in the context of, so last episode, we were talking about Ezekiel 34. And God is reprimanding the bad shepherds for not feeding the sheep and being harsh with them. But to sit and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you're one of those sheep that's been hurt, especially if it's been by a bad shepherd or a wolf in sheep's clothing or something, to sit and say, well, it's interesting because I think when we're hurting, we feel alone and yeah. we feel abandoned sometimes even by God. 
And so to put things into perspective, to see that God is there in our hurt, to see that he's there in our struggle, and he hasn't forgotten us, and that yeah. he loves us through it all. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, that I will fear no evil. Yeah. You know, when no, everything about us is tempted to fear. Yeah. Um, and it, it puts things into perspective. We're not abandoned. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting because we're talking about hurt. Of course, the podcast is called I Hurt. <clears throat> and uh, we're talking with Maria. And I just said, you know, Maria, what's been the hurt that you'd like to talk about? You didn't surprise me with what you said, but it took me back a little bit because you said the main hurt you want to talk about was fear. Because fear is powerful. It has the ability to alienate you, to cut you off, to get you to question God. And so um, I guess I'd just like to give you a, you know, a couple of minutes. Just how did you get afraid? So it's, it's amazing. I realized that fear has been the driving force behind everything in my life. And I grew up as a child in communism, in communist Bulgaria. And my family particularly was very targeted by the government because my father had lived in America for a number of years in the 70s, was forced to come back to Bulgaria by the government because, to make a long story short, he was here with his mom and dad in the 70s and was they were supposed to leave a family member behind as collateral. So my dad's brother stayed in Bulgaria. And after them living here in America for about three years, the Bulgarian government sent them a telegram and said, listen, you need to come back. Um, if you don't come back voluntarily, something will happen to your brother. But if you come back voluntarily, everything's going to be fine. There's going to be no issues. So, of course, the mom heard this and she's like, we're going. Of course, he didn't want to go, but everybody picked up and left. And they said, well, at least the government will leave us alone because we're coming back voluntarily. Not at all what happened at the airport. They were all arrested. Um, they were their passports were stamped with a black stamp to make them look like they're a traitor and they labeled him an American spy. Mm -hmm. And so from that on, his entire life in Bulgaria and every relationship, including you know, meeting my mom, which he didn't meet until after the fact, um, ended up being targeted by the government. So we were all, our family was always a target by the government. He's been, my dad's been arrested multiple times, beaten, questioned, home has been searched, my mom was arrested when she was pregnant with me. I mean, and it's constant harassment. You're, you're always looking behind your back, and you recognize that, you know, living in communism is a very dangerous thing. I mean, many people disappeared. Um, after formerly communism fell, they found over 8 million graves, uh, hidden oh. graves, like people that had just disappeared, not to mention others that... The bodies were somehow disposed of, but they make things look like an accident, you know. So you're always looking over your shoulder. You never have peace. We were never at rest. I was harassed by my teachers at school because of who my parents were. And so you, so fear and distrust becomes part of your core. And then along with that, I was aware even as a child that my parents were always trying to leave the country. And the government had such strong, strict control over my family that they wouldn't even let us go to other communist countries, which were normal. Um, like if you were an, any normal Bulgarian, you would be allowed to go to Russia or to Romania, like other communist countries. We weren't allowed to go anywhere because they were so afraid that we might try to escape. And so the escape process for us, knowing all of this, was such a miracle. In fact, they had told my father, they said, you're never going to leave this country ever. My father said, even if I'm an old man with a cane, I'm going to wave to you from America. I'm leaving this country, you know. 
And so understanding that mindset as a child, I fear was in, ingrained in me. I grew up distrusting everything and everyone. And so you take um, the process of escape. I mean, that in of itself was so arduous, just leaving Bulgaria. I mean, we were searched at the border for eight hours. The entire, our entire vehicle was taken apart. Like seats were taken out of the car, everything. How old were you? I was 10. Right, so I'm watching all of this. My parents were taken into separate rooms, questioned separately. Again, I mean, it's such trauma. You have no idea. Are your parents going to get arrested at that point? Eight hours of this. It's not like 30 minutes, mm -hmm. right? Um, at that point, and by the grace of God, and there's so many miracles along the way that I can go into about how we didn't get arrested. But needless to say, we it was a journey. We went into Romania, which is north of Bulgaria, as part of the journey. And we had no idea really what the plan was. We had, my aunt had already successfully escaped to, to Austria and we were just like, and there was no cell phones. There was no emails. You're just trying to find a payphone, hoping to get a hold of her and she's calling you from a payphone. So it was frightening and communication was very difficult. And you had no idea if, you're, if, if the government has set someone to watch you or to follow you, right? So again, it's that constant fear. You're a fugitive in essence, it's how you're living life. At that point, we went to Hungary. We were only allowed to stay in Hungary for 48 hours before crossing over to our next destination. Well, we ended up staying in Hungary for 40 days, illegally. And the Lord provided for us in unbelievable ways. There was a family that took us in. The woman was Bulgarian in Hungary. Like, that's a rare find, right? I mean, and again, how that came about was just pretty miraculous. But this woman took us in for all almost a month and the point is this we were stuck we couldn't go back to Bulgaria now because we had overstayed our visa if we overstay our visa you see clear intent to escape they will kill you if we go back we were afraid of being in Hungary because they do random tests like they can stop you and look at your passport and then they'll escort you and so we were waiting for my aunt to come up with some sort of solution to, to get us out of there. So again, the fear, like, am I going to die? Was, what's going to happen to us? Are we ever going to escape this? And then the actual escape. I mean, we were smuggled into Austria in the trunk of a car. My mom and I first, my father separately. We were running through barbed wire fences, through rivers, and escaping guard posts where, you know, you were expecting men with large machine guns. And all of this is, is fear, 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 and, and not a place of, of security. And even after our escape, you live as an immigrant in immigration camps. Immigration camps are like prisons. We were in a room with um, over 100 bunk beds, mostly men, you know, a lot of them criminals. There was no children. I mean, you couldn't really shower. You couldn't bathe. People are pooping in the hallways, you know, I mean. My mom had things stolen, and, and and you live in there. You're isolated. You could only go in the basement of this building with your metal cup and bowl for lunch and dinner to eat. What 10-year-old child living through these conditions would be traumatized? And again, you had no idea. I remember, sorry I'm going into a lot of stories, but all of this is processed in my head as I th think about the, why I'm so afraid. What drove all this fear? I remember after you go through the immigration camp, the government in Austria appoints you to different places like a bed and breakfast and they they pay for your stay so they provide lodging for you 
and you never know where you're getting sent to work. Here's all these people getting on these like large buses and they're sent to whatever direction. And for my family, there wasn't a large bus. We'd like, we can raise our bus, raise our bus. We didn't have a, a large bus. There was a van. And the only people in this van were me, me and my mom and my dad, the guy who was driving it and another guy next to him. So what are we thinking? Did the government send these guys to just, yeah. they found us, they're going to yeah. take us back. And here's the thing. As we're driving, where they're driving is literally towards the border because we're so close, the immigration camp was close to the border to begin with, but we're not driving away from the immigration camp like the rest of the buses. We're heading towards the border. And I'm hearing my parents, my mom's like, Chris, we're good. So if, if you see him getting to the border, can you parent him? This. So these are the conversations. Doesn't this sound like a movie? It's exactly yeah. how it ended up happening. So you again, you grow up with this fear. Then you're in Austria. You know, my father had been brought to America about a year prior to my mom and I being brought. So we, my mom and I, were by ourselves in Austria. Again, immigrants, criminals. You don't know who to trust. It's a woman alone with a child. You don't know if you'll ever see your husband again. Nobody guarantees that you'll be approved access to America. So all of these things, and then you come to America, and that was probably some of the most tragic time for me was the adjustment, because my parents then, we had to survive. We had spent every penny we had to our name to pay for the escape. So when we came to America, we had nothing, like nothing. And my parents were, had to go back to, to school because their degrees were not recognized here. So they were going to school and working full time. I'm an only child. I'm by myself. I've just gone through tremendous trauma. I have nobody to speak to. I have no friends. I have no family. And I'm by myself. And so um, all of this was compounding, compounding. And at this point, I'm 12. Now, by the time I got to be 13 and 14, probably some of the darkest times in my life, and especially having to do with fear and really feeling abandoned by God because life had become so stressful my parents trying to survive we we didn't even know that there's such things as um social services we probably would have qualified for help nobody told us nobody showed us and so it ended up being bringing such stress fights at home we had started we had recently come to believe in the lord before we left bulgaria you know by the time i was 14 we weren't going to church we weren't praying we were just surviving and as a, as a teenager, you know, I, I, I had gone through a lifetime of survival at that point. And I'm, I feel like I'm an adult. Meanwhile, I have to go to school with kids who are, like, worried about, like, my hair. And I was, I just couldn't understand any of that. So I, I couldn't make friends either. Um, it was difficult. And yet I was dealing with hormones and with typical teenage identity things. Who's going to work out with that? So I became very angry. I was alone a lot. And with all the conflict in my home, with all the, it was just the darkest time. I think I've cried more tears during those years than ever in my life together. I just felt completely abandoned by God. And so all of that fear, I was constantly afraid. I never felt settled. I never felt safe. Never. And you're always looking around you know, you're back. And then I, and then all the fear led me to just not trust in God. I had known of God. God had done the miracles of bringing us out, but now I felt completely, completely. Abandoned. And what did that look like? I mean, you, you doubted was, I mean, what, what, what did you think about God? I mean, what were your, in all that fear, you come to this point, 
if you were to say what your thoughts were about God capsulated, what was your vision or look at God? Then? Well, earlier on, see, I feel like the Israelites who crossed the Red Sea, I thought, man, it is every step that we have taken so far has been a miracle. I saw God. So you saw him very real. clearly. I yeah. saw him very clearly, but by the time we were in America, I didn't see him. I prayed and nothing happened. I, I tried to make sense of all the darkness in my life, and it was dark. And again, a lot of it was driven through, you know, hormones and things, typical teenage things, but your worldview shifts when you're a teen, and especially combating that with trauma. Were you were you rebellious? Very. Were you worldly? So we, Did you get involved in worldly things? I yeah, mean, so this is what it led me to. So because I felt so angry, I didn't hear from God, I felt God wasn't sending me any help. I was alone. And so I thought, you know, I think I need to handle things the way I see fit. And so, yes, I ended up making a lot of bad decisions, a mm -hmm. lot of mistakes. And I decided that I was going to take my life into my own hands. And what I realized, what I didn't realize at the time, what I ended up realizing is that handling our own hurts by numbing or creating more hurts compounded everything so much more. And it created even more insurmountable hurt and fear and and loneliness and, and abandonment. I mean, it gets to a place where it is empty and lonely and fearful, and you're just like, God, where are you in all of this? And how do I get myself out of this hole? So, what was the what was the moment that things had to shift? Yeah, I things basically blew up in my face. It, what's interesting in a lot of this is when I was going through my rebellion, which was probably about five or six years. Um, I always felt a tug from the Lord. God always said, you shouldn't do it. Like I felt, I, I always knew you shouldn't do this. Don't, this is going to harm mm -hmm. you. I'm giving you a chance to turn around. And yet I would always silence the voice because I was just angry, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and there was a, an event which all of this kind of exploded in my face. And, you know, it would be a separate podcast okay. to go into the okay. details of that event. <laughs> But it was so bad. I literally felt like my entire world collapsed. I, I had, I literally fell to my knees and I said, I've got nothing left. I've got nothing I can hold on to. I've got nothing I can control, God. All I can do is just give my life to you. That's all I know how to do. And it was such a life-changing moment for me. I had a very radical conversion, even though I would say I was a Christian even prior to that. But I've never understood God the way I did at that moment. I, I surrendered. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was really the time that I became saved. It was so radical. That moment, God took my glasses off and put on his glasses. He helped me to see my life through his eyes. He helped me to see my circumstances, my sin. And I grieved and I cried. I cried for, I'd say, probably a year repenting. I had mm -hmm. very, I mean... I tell people, I would, I've driven, and literally as God would bring thoughts into my mind, I would have to pull over to throw up because I was so repulsed by, by my life. And there was a cleansing that took place, but, it's, but it also gave me a passion, a real passion for God. So I had gone through that process somewhat shortly before I met you, and mm -hmm. there was a fire in me because it all made sense, and I wanted yeah. to be able to help somebody. Our ministry is called Pure for God, all right? So you think about her story and her joining an organization like Pure for God. A year before that, you probably wouldn't have even considered it. Right. But 
one of the things that I've always loved and appreciated about you, Maria, is, is you are passionate mm-hmm. and you are zealous for righteousness. There is no gray area for there you. Is not. None. <laughs> and that there can cause not. trouble too. True. Yes. But yeah. Her husband's over there going, hey. <laughs> but but it created a, a good conflict that all of a sudden you went from this doubting, struggling, fearful girl, and all of a sudden you have this encounter, and now it's almost like I don't want to say you were a prophet, but you you were like on fire. Yeah. And everything was right or wrong. There was no middle ground. And you weren't, you've never been an intolerant person, but you were intolerant of just fake, cheap, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And so how does, how did that translate? When you went from that year of repentance into your Christian life, and all of a sudden you began serving God and everything like that, did that in any way, shape, or form begin to whittle away at that fear that had been operating in your life for so long? Or did that fear continue? Well, it's interesting. It changed shapes. So a lot of the fear, it healed because I I got an inward understanding. And when the Lord transforms you, the insides change. The way you see yourself, you start seeing life from his point of view. And so, particularly in those early years, I had a lot of trust. In fact, my family <laughs> couldn't understand at that point my point of view and all the, the ways in which I trusted him. And I'm like, I, I don't care. I don't care if I'm poor, you know, living in a hole. I don't care where I, I am. I just want to be in the will of God. Like there was just this, this trust. Um, so there was a major shift in that. Where the fear has come in is as I've grown further as, as a Christian, it becomes, it's still kind of low level. You start doubting God sometimes. And then you have to keep going back to what God has done as a reminder Mm -hmm. to work out of that fear. But it is something that has been a continual battle in my life because it has been so ingrained in my essence. It is a continual battle of having to trust God in his provision in all sorts of um, situations. But you're right. I'm very black and white. And for me... I, I want to, I am so passionate. I want to know what God thinks. I don't want to be off to the left or to the right. If it means I need, God needs to correct me, correct me all you want. I just want to know the but truth. But it didn't always make you the easiest person for comfortable people. Of course not. I don't, I still don't think no. I'm the easiest yeah. person <laughs> for comfortable people. Yeah, I, I mean, because everything, you'd sit down and you didn't understand you know, people and how they could look at God so casually or they could take for granted what they had or they weren't excited about what they believed. Yeah. And I remember we'd sit and have our prayer meetings for Pure for God and everything like that. And we talked a lot about holiness and righteousness and purity. And it was like we talked the same language. Yeah. But then you'd sit there and you'd go out and you'd meet with pastors and you'd meet with churches and individuals and things like that. And it's just like there was nothing and they've never known any fear. They never had to sacrifice anything. They didn't have to go through. But they couldn't relate. And that was really That's the right. Key. They couldn't relate, yeah. That was really the key. And I found that really in, in my turbulent teen years, no one could relate to me. This is why it was so lonely and why it was, it would fed the fear. I had no one to process that with. No one could relate, which is why when I did create the advocacy program, my desire was not only to be an ear and a, and a voice for those who are in that situation, 
but I wanted to train lay leaders. I don't, you don't need to be a trained counselor to know how to respond to right. somebody. Um, and it was so key because I felt like that was so lacking in the church. I still think it's so lacking in the Absolutely. church. There's no counseling training or very little training for anybody that works with youth to really understand how to relate to them and how to get inside their world and speak their language. Yeah. And well, they get so lonely. Yeah, it's and extremely they don't lonely. feel seen or understood. Yeah. And then if they're not seen and understood by people, like we're representing Christ to them. So if we don't see them and make them feel understood, they translate that into God doesn't see me. That's right. God doesn't understand me. God doesn't care about me. Because if God cared about me, he would send someone to help me. That's exactly how I felt. And isn't that how the enemy works? He wants yeah. to isolate us. That's really the big thing, which is why it's so important that we don't allow isolation to happen for whole people. Yeah. And it's interesting, as you said, then you look at a lot of what is portrayed in contemporary Christianity. It's all about prosperity. It's all about ease. It's all about comfort. It's all about these things. And if you're hurting or if you've been damaged or something like that, churches, a lot of people, I shouldn't say churches, a lot of individual Christians may not want you around. Mm -hmm. You make life uncomfortable for them. They don't want to go through and enter into your grief and learn how to counsel you and see you through the problem. They want to put you into a program or push you off to the side. And that's what we've seen with young people. Yeah. That's happened a lot with the purpose of I Heard is, is there's all these young people out there and adults now that just don't get Christianity when it's portrayed as something that doesn't deal with the real life things of compassion and love and righteousness and holiness and purity. If it's just about getting together and singing, well, we might as well not even do that. We can I tell a story. Yeah. We had a, a girl in our youth group when we were working for a church back in the UK who was probably about 14 from a broken home. And she came to us one day and she sat in our youth group and she cried. And she said, it's not working. It's not working. And I said, what do you mean it's not working? And she said, well, I, I became a Christian and I decided I believed in Jesus, but nothing's changed. And I, we realized, and we were very inexperienced in ministry, like what had we been communicating about life with God that she thought if she became a Christian, all, all her problems that, would be fixed. Right, everything would go away. <laughs> yeah. My parents would get back together. Like, it would be like a magic spell yeah. that she'd prayed. And we had to sit and really work out with her. Like, God is not responsible for the choices of the people in your life right now when you're young and you're hurting. And what God can do is comfort you and encourage you and give you a sense of peace and joy that you can survive what you're going through right now. He can't fix the choices of other people. You know, you had, in the world's eyes, every right to disregard God after having the childhood and the journey that you've had to be like, well, if a, being a Christian means this, mm. and I'm going to have to go through this, and I'm going to be born into communism and all of that, like, you say, good riddance, God, if that's what you have for me. You Like, the world would say, as really, scripture says, we should be pitied most among all men. Yes. Is, you know, this is what we got to look forward to. Yeah, but like the, his freedom isn't worldly freedom. It's not freedom that the world says, okay, you're going to have a ton of money and an amazing career and a big house and the stuff that doesn't last. The freedom is the inner, you know, 
with you and the eternity that you learned from his love and his friendship. It, it, I mean, I've known Maria for all these years, and it's funny because I wasn't surprised when you said the word fear, but you're one of the most fearless people I know at I times, too. I look that too. way, right? Yes. <laughs> no. I, have con I have strong conviction once once I feel that I've heard from the Lord, and I think this is where a lot of the healing has, yeah. has come. It's extremes for you, then. It I mean, is, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you can imagine how down I was when I was down and yeah. how afraid I was when I was afraid, for sure. I mean, we joked about it because we were with Maria when she was going through the American Idol mm. thing and everything like that. And Maria said, I'm going to try out for American Idol. And I remember everybody sitting around the table going, yeah, whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden, where did, was it New York City you went to? Or where did you go? To Boston. To Boston. Audition, yeah. All of a sudden, Maria's in Boston. And we're sitting there going, <laughs> this girl's got guts. <laughs> and you've always been a kind of person, I think, when you were convinced that God was in it. Nothing's going to stop you. You didn't care what people thought. You did nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's why it's, I'm just wondering if the Lord developed that fearlessness at the same time this fear was operating in your life. It's it's interesting you bring the American Idol journey. So this is an interesting dichotomy. I had a dream that God wanted me to go on American Idol so I can minister to Paul Abdul. So that's what started the entire thing because in my dream. She wanted to be a minister to the stars. I did. I yeah. still do. Yeah, I know. I still yeah. do. I terrorized my husband. I'm like, come on, let's meet some famous people. You're a pastor. You should have an easy in. <laughs> but, and that's never gone away. I'm still believing the Lord will bring that ministry to pass. But what had happened is I, I had a dream about um, Paul Abdul and the Lord had spoken to me in the dream specific things about her life that I would have no way of knowing. And so when I woke up, I said, what are you trying to tell me? And I really felt the signal that God said, I need to go on American Idol. Now, I think there was a purpose for, you know, the, the impact that I, that I believe that I had in Paula's life. But the majority of this, I think, was for my benefit. And God was trying to help me overcome the fear because yeah. I was paralyzed with fear during the entire process. In fact, it was one of the most intimate places it's where real healing really started happening for me to deal with my fear. It was probably about a six-month process because you go through many auditions. And every time I was like, I'm like, Lord, you, I need to know that you're sending me. I want to know that this is not me. Every single day God would speak to me. I have not heard God that explicitly my entire life as it was during that period. Every day he spoke in ways that were undeniable and miraculous. And I was so afraid to the point where I was trembling. I remember going to my auditions. I'm like, I think I might faint from fear. And the Lord would pull me through. And constantly he would speak to me to say, no, I am here and I am the one who's sending you. And so that, despite my conviction, I was terrified. But if it wasn't for hearing the voice of the Lord every day, I would not have had the courage to complete the journey. And you think about people out there that are trapped in fear, mm. you know. If you don't hear the voice of God, you're dead in the water. It really is the only thing. Hearing the voice of God and entering into his love is the only uh, remedy it, for that deep of fear. It is, because fear is paralyzing. I yeah. mean, literally, you can be paralyzed in your thoughts, in your circumstances, and, and it's, it's crippling. It's yeah. physically, mentally crippling and to this day I tell my husband as long as I can hear the voice of the Lord I'll be fine yeah. and sometimes God is silent as you mature in the walk yeah. he has to trust you with his silence so that you learn to trust him even when you don't hear and especially oh, go ahead. Um, just because you've both been talking about the voice of the Lord we have teens and young adults right now who hear us talking about God speaking to us and they say 
what is the purpose of the Lord? Because they, they, they read in the Bible about God being in a burning bush. God said this, thus says the Lord. And they want to know, like, what did it, what does he sound like? How do I know if he's talking to me? How do you know that you've heard the voice of the Lord? So our, some of our, like our target audience are younger people. So could you explain how you knew it was the voice of the Lord? So this is what God was teaching me through the American Idol journey because I kept doubting every time I thought I heard the voice of the Lord. I would mm-hmm. doubt that. I was like, it's probably in my own head, right? right? But it would be the moment I would turn the, the, the TV on or the, the radio on, it would be a sermon on how God is sending me so-and-so on a mission and you need to live. I'm like, wait, this is exactly what you're telling me. To, that's probably a coincidence. I'd open the Bible and, and, and the Bible would be about so-and-so who went on a mission. I'm like, Come on, then I'd open the devotion. I mean, and this would happen every day. Every, in fact, it got to the point where I had to, this is where I first started journaling. I said, I, I have to start journaling this because I won't remember how profound this was. And every day for at least six months, the message was the same or whatever was in my heart. I'd say, God, confirm it. And that day, the confirmation would come in um, through. And in fact, I was so, right before the audition in Boston, I was so afraid. And I, I said, God, I don't know how you're going to comfort me, but I feel like I'm paralyzed, like I can't even take a step. And I I didn't say anything to, to anybody at the time. I was literally waiting in line. My mom calls me. She said, I'm working on a patient. She's a dental hygienist. I'm working on a patient. And literally God told me I needed to stop doing whatever I was doing. So I'm in the middle of the patient giving you a call. And he wants me to tell you to listen to the song of um, Casting Crowns, um, forgot the name of the song but it basically says what am i so afraid of like the, the voice, voice of truth yeah. voice of voice of truth yeah. that's it and all the words were about you know the giants are telling you not to trust god and not to fear but don't trust it i'm like ah, start crying i'm in line for america and i'm bawling my eyes out but how amazing because i just spoken to god i said i'm so afraid i cannot move my mom calls me she said the lord told me to stop cleaning a patient's teeth to tell you to listen to this song how would she know And this is what God kept doing in in unmistakable ways. And and I think a lot of times, God is always speaking, in my opinion. And a person that would ask me that question, i say, well, have you ever felt like God talked to you? And you'd come up and say, yeah, but it wasn't God, or it was a coincidence or something like that. I said, trust. Just say, Lord, speak to me. And if you sense that he's speaking to you, just have the confidence to act on it. And it's funny, because once you act on it, and it's proven to be his voice, you become more familiar with his voice, and then after a while, you recognize his voice. Yeah. But most people say, God, uh, should, should I go here? And they get the sense, no. Yeah, but it's not what they want, or it's not what they're planning. So what, that was just must be cool, you know. And they can almost take any time God speaks and find a reason to discredit it. But if you ask your father to talk to you, he will. And you just got to be willing to accept the fact that if he does, that you will respond to it. And keep your Bible open. Yes. The Word of God. God speaks it's through the living. Word of God. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess I would say this, Maria. If you sat and had to talk to a teenager that was trapped in that kind of fear that you had, what would you say to them? What would you what what would you encourage them to do if it just seems hopeless, if God doesn't seem real and they're trapped in this abandonment and this sense of fear? What would you say to them? Well, the first thing I would say is, if at all, if it's an option, find somebody to speak to who knows God. Because the truth of the matter is, the answers are in God's plan for us. Um, 
don't stay isolated because it's then that the enemy will absolutely speak truth and most people end up believing the truth and it's a trap. So if you can expose the enemy, if you can expose that fear to somebody you trust, it is the number one thing to do. And the other thing is trust, trust and seek God's plan for your life. Nothing makes sense outside of what God has purposed for our lives. It's the only time when I understood what God's purpose for my life was, it changed the game for me because I wake up every day with an actual purpose. I mean, I want you to think about Jesus's life. Every day he woke up and he hung out with his father and the father downloaded to him what the purpose was for today, what's the plan. So Jesus every day woke up, he knew his targets and it gave it, it didn't give him time for self-pity. It didn't give him time for, for listening to the enemy. He's like, I see the goal, I need to get there. Most of us, especially as teenagers, we don't have a target. We don't have a goal, we exist. And when we're sitting ducks like that, the enemy gets to shape our thoughts yeah. and he shapes our destinies. And so the important thing is for us to figure out who, what God's plan is for our lives and find that as a target. For me, even with Pure for God, that I had a target and it gave me a goal and I kept pursuing that goal and it has been the goal of my life till now. I mean, my, my life has changed and shaped but the things that I've learned and, and my desire to impact people on a personal level still holds tr true today. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful to God because, you know, I, I ended up going in the corporate world at one point and I was so depressed thinking like, Lord, I need to do this to pay my bills, but I hate everything about this. Who am I impacting here? Mm -hmm. It was so suffocating knowing that my purpose was interrupted, so to speak, right? And what freedom that God has given me. I never thought I'd marry a pastor. I never thought I'd, I'd have such an influence in the church and people's lives and, and minister and, and lead worship and, and, and it pays the bills. Like I can't believe mm -hmm. any of this could be possible. I thought I'd be stuck in, in a corporate job forever. But this all goes back to having a purpose and a target. When God reveals your target, the enemy cannot derail you. So for a young person, what I would say is expose it. Find somebody you trust. Do not be alone with the fear because it will it will set a trap that could last for many years and lead to many mistakes. Joe, you have the attribute of God right there in front of you we're going to talk about this week. It's about uh, God being omnipresent. Mm -hmm. That means God's ever-present all the time, everywhere. In the trunk of a car in Bulgaria, line to American Idol, you know, wherever it is, he's always equally present there. And I think we have a tendency to think he's more and less present depending on how bad or good things are going. But just listen to what it means. This is a characteristic of God. And if you really could embrace this, it will help with fear. Yeah. Knowing that God's always there. Go ahead. God's center is present everywhere. His boundaries and edges are nowhere. He is always present. He cannot be contained in or by anything. Hmm. You know, it reminds me of... Um, is it Ezekiel who has this vision of the wheels and the it's the God's spirit moving mm -hmm. into exile and God saying like I wasn't just in Jerusalem I'm yeah. with you now mm -hmm. yeah and it, and it's right you know I agree with Maria you need this is why we're having this podcast so you can listen to somebody who has been there in the area of fear that many of you have been and she's got a great marriage now you know God's using her and all these ministry things like that I can also tell her her life's not perfect you got some major challenges you're facing right now that 
probably when you're laying in bed want to take you back to places of fear again, right? (laughs) But those things keep driving Maria back to God. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Fear will either immobilize you or move you. And that's what we're praying that this this podcast would do. If if you're in fear, call out God. Say, God, what is the purpose in my life? And I'm going to pursue it because if you sit in the fear, you're dead in the water. That's right. Absolutely. And God, and there's absolutely a purpose and there are rewards. And I think it's important. Do I have another couple of minutes? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, because you know, we can I can't this, say no to you, we can, Maria. We can make this go long if you let me talk. Two minutes, Maria, go ahead. <laughs> Two minute warning. Throw the flag. Um, no, um, I wanted to say this. I was just talking to some teens just recently, and I said, what is, what is your goal as a Christian? Crickets. Nobody could tell me anything. I said, really? And one of the youth, um, he's, he's in football. I said, who did you just recently play? Well, we played Iroquois. I said, what was the goal of playing in that game? To win, he said. I said, well, it's interesting. You have a goal. You know what your goal is when you're playing a game. I said, knowing that you want to win, how does that affect your everyday life? And he said, well, I wake up, and the first thing I do is I hit the gym. Also, you know exactly what you need to do. Why? Because you want it. You're working towards a goal. You have a purpose. I said, why do you need to hit the gym? Because well, I need to be buff. I need to be strong so I can win this game. I said, what a clear plan that you have. And yet you can't tell me what your goal is as a Christian, right? And this is why it is so important for us to understand, especially even with adults. Adults don't know what the goal is in their Christian life, right? But what is the goal? Why are you here on earth? What does God have purpose specifically for your life? And when you figure this out, and all of us have a goal, God has a specific destiny for all of us. I said, what is your everyday journey going to look like to get you to accomplish that goal? The truth of the matter is we have a destination, which is heaven. God says that there's rewards there. God says that there's um, uh, uh, crowns that we accumulate, rewards that we can only collect while we're on the journey here. Isn't it exciting to know that you have a hand in your eternity? I wake up every day, and it's really what keeps me grounded. I say to myself, I don't care if I have a year left to live or five years or another 20 years. It's not a lot of time. But I said, Lord, Help me figure out what is my goal today so that I can grow your kingdom as much as I can for as long as there's breath in my lungs. It literally is the thing that pulls me out of depression. It's the thing that pulls me out of the pain and the numerous trials that I deal with on a daily basis. But it gives me that purpose and I continue to press into it despite the darkness that may be constantly looming over my life. So purpose is key. And by the way, I just want to loop the American Idol story, kind of put a close thing to it, right? Yeah. So I had gone all the way up to Hollywood. I managed to to give Paul Abdul, you know, the, a let, I had written a letter, uh, given her a specific book that I believed that the Lord wanted to minister to her. After that, I was eliminated. So it's like I had accomplished my purpose. A number of years later, maybe, I don't know, maybe three years later or so, um, there was a gentleman by the name of Phil Stacy. He was on, on the show. He was like top five, top six. And he had come to Jamestown to do a concert. So <clears throat> I went up to speak to him afterwards. And I said, hey, my name's Maria. This, and he was a Christian. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm a Christian as well. And in two words, here was my journey on American Idol. I said, by the way, do you have any connection to Paula Abdul? Like, I'm just wondering, what does her life look like, her spiritual life? She's like, oh, well. He goes, Paula right now is tied with a, a number of, really strong believer. She goes to Bible studies five days a week and is surrounded by really strong prayer warriors and women. And I just thought, maybe 
You never know. I had something to do with this because that is not, she was in a very dark place when, when I had given her this letter. So can you imagine that God has a plan for Maria in Buffalo to go all the way to Hollywood to deliver a message and that that might have been a seat to turn this woman's life around. God's got a purpose for us. He does. Yes, he and does. we trust him. This is why I love Maria. She can get, get her going. She gets on fire. That's right. <laughs> so we're going to close now. Um, Maria, would you pray for the listeners out there that are having deep fear, not just your daily fears, you know, that deep-rooted fear. But yeah. Would you just pray for them right now? Yeah. Okay. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for my journey, though it's been a very, very challenging one. But, Lord, I see your hand in it all. I see how you've tried to rescue me, Lord. I see that, that the battle between... <laughs> Uh, the battle for our lives and for our souls is fierce. The enemy um, comes after us to discourage us. Your word says that the, the battle is not between flesh and blood, but the principalities and powers of this dark world. It's a fight for our very souls. And the enemy, when he comes in and when he creeps in, his number one tool is to paralyze us with fear. Because when we're afraid, we can't hear you. We don't trust you. We can't move. And we become prisoners of the enemy. And so, Lord, for anybody who's listening to this um, podcast today, God, I ask that you would give them clarity about what is actually happening to them and around them in the spiritual realm. And that, that you would give them boldness, that they would rise up out of that and turn to you and trust your word that says you have plans for them to prosper them and not to harm them, plans to give them a hope and a future, and that you are desperately chasing after us because you want us to know what your plans are for us. And that in the limited time that we have been given on this earth, that it is our greatest privilege and the thing that will give us more joy than anything to know that we're living out your plans for our lives, your purposes, and, and how you promise to reward us so richly for all eternity. So God, I ask that whoever is hurting right now, speak to their hearts, speak, make the truth so much louder than the lies of the enemy, God, that young people and, and adults, whoever is hurting, that they would speak to somebody about this, expose the enemy, and find your purposes for their lives. Oh God, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.